As we prepare to celebrate Christmas, I was just curious, what are, what are some of your Christmas traditions? My guess is many of us have certain Christmas traditions that include things we do maybe Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Hopefully part of your Christmas tradition this year, thanks Karen, part of your Christmas tradition will be joining us for one of these Christmas Eve services. Uh, we'd love to see you over the next couple of days. I was talking to some friends this week, and they had this really cool, they've got a lot of family in the area, so part of their tradition, Christmas Day tradition is doing a progressive dinner, different homes and different courses during the day. I said, that's pretty cool. How do you become part of that family? You know, it was, it was just kind of a cool thing to do. The more I heard the menu, the more I just wanted to figure out how to invite myself, but... Uh, for me and, and for our family, um, this is a different Christmas this year. Um, in fact, if I, were, if I were to kind of summarize our Christmas with one word, kind of what kind of excites me about this Christmas for us as a family, it would simply be the word with. Here's our family, and what is different about this Christmas is this is our first Christmas since all three of our sons have graduated and left home. And we're now scattered. In fact, kind of depending on what happens with my son's job, by next August, we may be a family in four different time zones. So that makes this this time together, this with time, very significant for Christmas. This is what I'm excited about. Now, understand me clearly. In no way do we have this whole thing figured out about family and adult kids and what that looks like. We're, as, as I told one of my sons yesterday, kind of, we had this kind of thing we had to work through. I said, look, we're, we're learning to do this new dance. And sometimes it means we're going to step on each other's toes. And, and by the way, just as a side note, if this is kind of where you're at in terms of season of life with teenagers or young adult kids, let me just recommend a book that Rose and I are we're finding helpful. It just came out this fall. It's called Growing With. Every Parent's Guide to Helping Teenagers and Young Adults Thrive in Their Faith, Family, and Future. In fact, some of the questions in that book are going to be part of our time together as family uh, this Christmas, right? Learning to grow with, because with is, now that we're scattered, with is an important part of what Christmas means for us. And this has really been challenging for me personally because what it's doing is it's causing me to, to more deeply appreciate one of the themes associated with Christmas. Because you see, one of the ways to look at Christmas is this. Christmas, Christmas is a story that's all about width. To show you what I mean, let's, I'm going to invite you, if you've got a Bible, to join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series entitled, What's in a Name? And over the course of five weeks, we're looking at five different names that that Matthew, the gospel writer, uses as he recounts the Christmas story. Over the last couple of weeks, we really camped out in uh, Matthew 1.1, where we see Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. But now we're going to follow a little farther along in the storyline of Matthew's gospel. You continue in Matthew chapter 1 and and you you get a genealogy of Jesus, a selective genealogy, learning about the different generations of Jesus. And then we read a little farther and we come across another name that is given to Jesus. And this is found in Matthew 1, 22 and following. As the story unfolds, Matthew tells us all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And just to make sure we don't miss the significance of this name, Matthew explains what the name means, which means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I realize for most of us that's familiar, but let's just let it, let's just kind of sit here for a moment. Let that, let that name sink in. From, from one angle, this is really, this could be a really ominous title, couldn't it? Because when, if you're familiar, you know, with various stories in the Bible, there are moments where God shows up and it's a really scary thing to be in the presence of the holy God. Right? Remember the experience of Moses. Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And yet what, what Matthew is doing here in, in giving us this name is he's helping us see that an underlying theme of the Bible is God's pursuit of us. An underlying theme that unites all of the Bible is this plan that God has that will not be thwarted of bringing us into relationship with himself. A plan that ultimately finds its focus in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is not surprising that one of the names given to Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So again, just let that sink in. As we celebrate Christmas, that at the heart of the Christmas story is God's desire to be with us, to be with you, to be with me, to be in relationship with us. Right? It's, it's a message all about with. And, and when we take this seriously, I think it reminds us that we... We're designed, we're intended to know God. We're intended to be in relationship with him. Furthermore, we're intended to be in relationship with one another. It's God with us. And this means we're not intended to do life alone. Last week, I asked you, you know, as we wrap up the year, are there certain areas of your life where maybe it feels like there's a question mark over that part of your life? You know, maybe your job situation, a family relationship, Maybe your marriage, if you're married, or, you know, there's, just, there's this part of my life right now just feels like there's this uncertainty, there's this question mark over it as, as we end this year and go into the next. And whatever that is, let me just remind you that the, the, the Christmas story implies that you're not intended to go through that alone. Because at the heart of, of the Christmas story is this message of with God, with us. Now, I realize in saying this for some of us here this morning, <laughs> I, you know, we could just keep talking about God with us and the significance of that. And maybe in your head, you're going blah, 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 right? What time is he going to be done? This just a, maybe for you, this, this message, it's not inspirational. It doesn't inspire. It doesn't feel like it connects. Maybe you would say, okay, I get it. I've known, you know, I know the Christmas story. I know what the Bible says, Jesus, God with us, but that... To me, that maybe you just say it just it feels hollow, it feels tried, it feels shallow, it just feels disconnected from everyday life experience. And if that's where you're at, I'm just glad you're here so that we can have this interaction. But can I also suggest that this, this is kind of where you're at? You know, this, I just this God with us, this just doesn't connect with me. 
If, if that's where you're at, can I suggest there, there can be a couple of reasons for that? I think one of the reasons we can find ourselves here just entails our expectations, the expectations we have about God. It's, uh, it's interesting. This is an individual by the name of Christian Smith. He's a sociologist at the University of Notre Dame. And um, he's done some really significant research in the area of uh, American religion. And about 15 years ago, he and his research team set out to ask a different kind of research question. They weren't interested in whether or not people believed in God. Rather, they were interested in this question. If people say they believe in God, what exactly do they mean by that? So they did an extensive research study focused primarily on young adults, but also Americans in general, to wrestle with this question. What do Americans mean when they say, yeah, we believe in God? You know, when we check that little box off on the Gallup survey, what exactly do we mean? And here's what they discovered. And if you'd like to read this further, they published their research 10 years ago in a book called Soul Searching. But here's what they discovered. They discovered for a large sector of American culture, when we say we believe in God, here's what we mean. We believe in God, but he's really, he's way out there, right? He's really distant. We believe in a God, but he's way out there. And we also believe that, that really for each of us, the goal in life is to, have, to lead a good and happy life. And that's kind of what God wants for you as well. And the reality is he just kind of leaves you alone to do that. But if life gets hard, if life gets tough, that's when you call on God. And hopefully, you know, if you've kind of been doing the right thing, he will come into your life and he will help you accomplish your goals and objectives. And they discovered that for many Americans, this is what we mean when we talk about God. And if that's where you're at, let me just first of all say, you know, that's, that's really understandable because this, this view is, as they discovered in their research, is very prevalent, it's very popular in our culture. And if that's where you're at, it, 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 maybe it is. It's not surprising it can be hard for you to connect with the whole idea of God being with us because your kind of idea of God is he's just out there and you just kind of call him when you need him, right? It's third and one. You got to get that one yard, whatever that is in your life. And that's when you call on God and hopefully he delivers. But can I also challenge you, if that's where you're at, if that's kind of your expectation, that's very different than what the Bible says about Jesus. That's very different than the Jesus of history. Because as we read in Matthew's account, he's, he's not just somebody who shows up in difficult situations to help you accomplish your goals and objectives. He is God with us. He has come to forgive, to redeem, to restore, and transform. And if that's, that's not how you see Jesus, I just encourage you to kind of re-examine your expectations. But maybe you would say this. Maybe you say, okay, George, I kind of feel here. I kind of feel like this whole God with us is, it just feels different. It rings hollow. But it's not because of my expectations. I mean, I believe, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. But all of this God with us feels hollow and shallow and irrelevant because, because of some of my experiences. And maybe for you, there's, there have there've been these certain issues that even like you look back over 2019 and there's been, you know, I lost my job or there's been this health issue or now things have gotten tense in this family relationship. I thought things were going well as a parent and now it just feels like we've gone off the rails. And maybe you say there's this, been this thing in my life and you know, I prayed about it and, and it just feels like I'm all alone. 
I'm not quite sure where God is at in, in this. And, and consequently, you know, because I've gone through this at some point in this year, I get to the end of the year, I get to Christmas, and we sing the songs, we talk about God being with us, Emmanuel. It just feels wrong. It just feels shallow. Now, if you can in any way resonate with that, can I encourage you that in reality, I think Matthew wants us to wrestle with these hard questions. Because when we go back to the context, as Matthew presents it of the Christmas story, it's very clear that Matthew doesn't shy away from telling us the hard stuff associated with Christmas. To show you what I mean, let's just go back to that context. Let's go back and, and look just more closely at, at, the, at the very setting where Matthew tells us Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. And the context of that statement is the experience of Joseph. The context of that statement is here's Joseph. Joseph who has just discovered that his fiance is pregnant. Now, for a variety of reasons culturally, in some ways the most appropriate and gracious response on Joseph's part would be to divorce her quietly. This could be done without kind of a public trial. There were ways to do this in first century Israel. And arguably, from his perspective, the most gracious thing for him to do is to, in essence, end the relationship quietly. And just as he is mulling this over, He's given a message that he has, to, he has to do something very different. So notice what we read as we continue the story in Matthew 1. But after he had considered this, right, after he had considered putting her away, because in his mind that's the most gracious thing to do now, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now just think about this for a moment. Here's Joseph seeking to do the right thing, and in so many ways the culturally right thing to do at this moment is, is just to end the relationship, and that will minimize the stigma and the talking and the gossip, and that's the honorable thing to do. But now he is told to do something different. And in reality, I think what he is being told is this. Hey, Joseph, guess what? You need to marry her because this is what God is doing. And in the midst of that, if you read between the lines, what he's also being told is this. Joseph, your life is about to get a lot more complicated. Your life is about to take some turns that you did not expect. And notice it is in, then in this context. It's at this moment that Matthew declares, and by the way, this Jesus who's going to be born is Emmanuel. This Jesus is God with us. And, and what's fascinating here is, as, as we continue to read, I mean, there's some real high points in the story, but there's also some ways in which the, the story continues to take dark unexpected turns. So we read a little farther and, and, you know, Jesus is born and this is always what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate, you know, the significance of the birth and, 
And then we read a little farther in Matthew's gospel and we see these, we call them wise men. They were really astrologers who come from the east and, you know, they've been led here and they come and they worship. But, but it's right after they leave that the story takes a darker turn because we read this in chapter 2. When they had gone, right, when these wise men, these astrologers, the magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now, once again, I know this is, this is familiar to many of us, but let's just think through Let's just kind of try to step into the story for a moment and, and see this from the perspective of Mary and Joseph. Maybe we can do it this way. So I know many of us are parents. And if you are a parent, you have gone through that season of preparation where you prepare to bring home your child or your first child. Maybe that included, you know, as a baby shower. And then it, it included accumulating all this stuff, Right? The crib, the changing stuff, the strollers, the car seat, the portable playpen, all this stuff. I still remember that, getting ready for our, 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 our son, our first son who was born. And for me, it was a combination of joy and utter terror. There was the joy of exper- exper- expecting our first son, but there was the terror every time I saw a box that had these words, some assembly required. Right, that was, the, that was the ultimate fear going into fatherhood for me. And so you go through all those experiences, right? And then it, it comes a day and you're this child, the son, this daughter is born. Then you get to bring them home from, right? You get to bring them home from the hospital and you, maybe you set up, you know, part of just a bedroom in your apartment or maybe you've got a nursery in your house and you set it all up and you put all this stuff together and, and now you get to welcome this child into your home. But imagine shortly after doing that, that in the middle of night, one evening, there's a frantic knock at the door from a friend of yours who says, you must pack and get ready to go. You've got to just pack an overnight bag, leave everything else. You've got to get out of town now because there is a threat on your child's life. Now imagine that happening. What would, you know, what, would the emo- what would that feel like? And so here Mary and Joseph, right, and this, and this statement comes. And they're warned that they must leave. And, and you'll notice that statement ends, and this is really interesting, the, the statement ends with a quotation from the Old Testament. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And if if you pay attention, you'll start to notice that in each of these scenes, Matthew is actually anchoring the scene with some statement from the Old Testament. So we have this scene where Joseph is told, no, you're not going to put her away. You're going to marry her because this is what God is doing. And then there's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7, right, that his name will be called Emmanuel. Then the warning comes, you've got to pack everything, you've got to get out of town, you've got to head to Egypt. And it's, it's anchored in this statement from Hosea, Hosea 11, 1, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now at this point, it, it, it's natural to kind of wag your finger at Matthew and go, dude, you're taking that passage out of context. I mean, right, an important part of 
reading and studying the Bible is understanding the context of the different parts of the Bible. And if you go back to the Old Testament to the prophet Hosea, you will realize that in chapter 11 when he says, out of Egypt I have called my son, he's not talking about an individual. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the exodus. Now ultimately, here's what I think Matthew is doing. Matthew is wanting us to see connections between the story of Jesus and the story of Israel. He's wanting us to see that just as Israel would come out of Egypt during the Exodus, so Jesus is going to go to Egypt and come out and in a real sense ultimately fulfill the the mission of Israel. So, So Matthew is drawing these connections between the story of Jesus and what's gone before and wanting us to see how they go together, how they're interrelated. So Joseph and Mary, they, they pack up their stuff and they head south. It would be several hundred miles and some of this is very rough and arduous terrain. And this is, this is where the story takes one more, even darker, heinous turn. Because we read farther in Matthew, and here's what we read. When Herod realized, right, that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, right, the astrologers, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This really shouldn't surprise us when you study Herod's life. He was someone prone to overreact to any threat. So it's not unexpected that when he heard a king had been born that he would move to do whatever he needed to do to eliminate the threat. Scholars suggest that if, you know, if we can somehow estimate the population of that region carefully that this probably would have involved the death of somewhere between 25 and 40 children. As you think about that happening, one of the questions I have is this, is, you know, as you, as you see Mary and Joseph headed to Egypt and eventually kind of settling in in Egypt, at least for the time being, I wonder if they got news of what had happened in Bethlehem. I wonder if somehow, you know, through what, you know, the, just kind of through the, through the grapevine, through traveling caravans that they, they learned of the death of these children. And I wonder if, if, if that were the case, if they found themselves, you know, here in Egypt, kind of looking at each other and looking at this baby, going, what is going on? How do we, you know, how do we understand this? We've had these fantastic announcements, but God, where are you in the midst of this? And notice again, that in telling us this story, Matthew anchors it in the Old Testament. This time in a statement from Jeremiah. Most likely, it's a statement where, you know, Jeremiah talks about Rachel weeping over Ramah. It's it's a statement that anticipated the exile that was part of Israel's history. When the Babylonians moved into Israel and eventually took people out in exile, Ramah appears to have been a staging center north of Jerusalem. 
a place where people would have been brought and held before they were taken further into captivity. And interestingly, very close to Ramah was the ancestral tomb of Rachel, one of the matriarchs in Israel's history who had lived much earlier. And to communicate the weight of this scene, Jeremiah, you know, he, he, he pulls Rachel forward in history to describe her weeping over her descendants, weeping over those people who were about to be taken into captivity. And now Matthew connects this story with that scene in the Old Testament. And I think in reality, he is encouraging us to wrestle with these questions. Maybe the questions that Joseph and Mary were wrestling with. Okay, God, where are you? What's, what's going on here? How is this happening? And, and what Matthew, I think, is encouraging us to see as we wrestle with, well, where is God in this situation? I think what Matthew wants us to see is he's right there in the midst of it. He's weeping. Even as Rachel might have been weeping for her children. So ultimately, as Matthew tells this story, I think he, he leaves us in a place where we have to go in one of two directions. On the one hand, I can, I can look at these different scenes, and particularly the dark scenes, and I can just throw up my hands with questions and uncertainties and just say, okay, where is God in that? Where is God in that? Likewise, when, when I go through things in my own life that are challenging or where things take complicated twists and turns and I'm not quite sure what God is doing, I, I, you know, I'm, I can just throw up my hands and go, where is God? And maybe I just become cynical about the whole thing. Maybe it just becomes easier for me just to walk away. Maybe it becomes easier just for me to say, okay, you know, I get it. You guys, you gather, you sing God with us. That's great for you, but that's just not, that's not part of my life. And maybe you just feel like ultimately your life is just a story of different random scenes. It doesn't seem to be pulling together. Maybe you feel like you're a victim of certain circumstances or the decisions other people have made. And all of us have felt that in different ways at some point. We can choose to do that. We can choose to say, based on life experience, it it just feels like what was going on in Joseph's life, it just doesn't feel like it's holding together. But I think Matthew's encouraging us to make a different choice. Matthew is, is encouraging us to see that these twists and turns, even the dark places in the Christmas story, are actually part of something much bigger than that's going on. This is part of the reason Matthew, in each of these scenes, particularly the hard scenes, he comes back and he anchors those scenes in the Old Testament. Because he wants you to see these, these aren't random events. This is part of a bigger storyline. This is part of a bigger storyline where even the hard parts are being woven together. It's part of a bigger storyline where even the difficult places are coming together. In reality, we're seeing that God is at work in the midst of it. And that God is relentless in his pursuit of us to prove that he is the God who is with us. And I think that's what Matthew wants us to see. He doesn't shy away from the hard stuff. He doesn't shy away from talking about the parts of the Christmas story that we rarely talk about during the Christmas season. 
And, but yet he wants us to see it's all, it's all part of something bigger where God really is in pursuit of us and God really is the one who is with us, even though at times it doesn't feel that way. Now with that in mind, how can I take that seriously? How do I really take this seriously? How do I really embrace this identity of Jesus as God with us? Once again, let me, let me just highlight quickly two things that I think are evident in Matthew's telling of the story of Christmas. First of all, I think to really respond to Jesus as Emmanuel, to really embrace this, it requires openness. It requires openness. And here's what I mean by that. It requires openness to what God is really doing. It's interesting. Go back to verse 21 in chapter 1. And, right, you, in 20, verse 21, you see that you know, his name is to be called Jesus because he's going to save us from our sins. And then shortly thereafter, verse 23, he's going to be called Emmanuel because he's God with us. Now, what's fascinating is that it, 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 these statements are a little awkward to bring from Greek into English. But in Greek, it actually kind of reads this way. Verse 21, call him the name Jesus. Verse 23, call him the name Emmanuel. In Greek, the statements, although they sound awkward in English, are very parallel. And I think what that means is, and I think Matthew's very intentional here, he's wanting us to see that these themes are interrelated, that, you know, that he's Jesus who's come to save. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And these, these are interrelated, mutually defining themes. He is the God who comes close in order to save. He is the one who saves in order to bring us close. And so I need, I need to be open to what God is wanting to do in my life. And of course, as Matthew explains it, to call him Jesus is, is to call him the one who has come to save, to save his people from their sins. And that's foundational to this idea of salvation, to experience forgiveness and deliverance. But the term also has within its meaning, I think, a more holistic understanding as well. That is that, that Jesus has come to save, to forgive, and, and embedded in that, he's come to renew, to restore, to transform to heal. And so I think part of embracing, part of embracing Jesus as Emmanuel is just being open to what God wants to do in my life. This, this is what he's wanting to do. If he's God with us, this is what he's wanting to do. And then building on that openness, the second thing that I would highlight from this text is to respond well to Jesus as Emmanuel, we need obedience. I mean, this just comes through so clearly just in the actions of Mary and Joseph, their willingness to respond and obey each step, even as the story gets more surprising, even as it gets darker, their willingness to obey all along the way. And that's, that's, part, of what, that's part of what it entails for us to respond to Jesus as Emmanuel. With that in mind, can I, can I give you just two challenges to think about? as we've been talking about God with us. The first is kind of an end-of-the-year challenge, and that is, that is this. Before the end of the year, I, I hope in some ways, you know, the end of the year maybe is just a time of self-reflection for you at some point. And I would just encourage you to think about this. You know, wherever you're at in life, whatever season of life you're in, just to kind of take stock. And as we're wrapping this year, going into a next year, just, just to wrestle with, okay, God, what are you wanting to do in my life? Just to be open to that. What is God seeking to do in me and through me right now? 
These are hard questions. So even at times, maybe getting somebody that's close to you, having this conversation with them, but okay, God, what are you, you know, the, the, the truth that God is with us means that he is seeking to be at work in my life right now. So in this season, whatever that looks like for you, what does it look like to be open to his work? And secondly, building on that openness is, okay, what does obedience look like in this season? Maybe some of us are wrestling with transitions. Maybe we're thinking about possible next steps and in different ways in life. And, you know, so we're, we're wrestling with, okay, what does obedience look like for me in this season of life? Just to wrestle with that. Now, the truth is, this is going to look differently for each of us. It's not going to be necessarily the same thing, but I would challenge you this. I think wherever you're at in life, in some way, obedience is going to entail participating in God's ongoing mission. It's interestingly, in many ways, Matthew bookends his his gospel with the promise that I'm with you. Right in chapter one, we get this, he's Emmanuel. We get the Christmas story, God with us. Then at the end of the book, right at the very end, we get Jesus's commission, just Jesus's commission of his disciples and ultimately his commission of us. And it, it, the book ends with the promise, what? I will be with you. So whatever obedience looks like for you, in some sense, I think it will entail being a part of God's mission. So that's kind of the, the end of the year challenge, just is to wrestle with these questions. What does openness look like? What does obedience look like? And the second challenge, I just want to invite you now to, to kind of join us as we start the new year. I've already mentioned this. I'll come back to this. So at the beginning of the year, we're starting a series that's going to take us from January through Easter. It's a series that's going to take us through the first half of the Old Testament. It's a series entitled Love this book, and it is a series that, that we are doing together as a church. It's a church-wide series, and that means, you know, when you come here on a Sunday, when your kids are, if you've got kids and they're involved in the ministries of our church each week, what we're going to be talking about in here on Sundays, what they're going to be talking about in an age-appropriate way as well in our student ministries and our children's ministries. We're aligning all of our kind of teaching ministries together so that we can go through this together. So if you're part of a family, hopefully Hopefully this just kind of gives you an easier on-ramp to having conversations with your kids about what we're talking about. Likewise, um, we have worked to prepare additional resources for this series. As I mentioned, uh, we've prepared devotional guides. And this will go week by, this devotional guide will go week by week, each week. It kind of, you can do it over four days if you're like, you would like. There are four different sections to read, to reflect, to apply, and then pray through the passage. And it'd be great. You could, could do that in some way during the week leading up to a Sunday. You could do it over four days or whatever fits your schedule or rhythm. So we're going to have these available for you as you leave on the tables. We have one edition that's for adults. We have one edition that has been specifically prepared by our core ministries. This one is for middle school and high school students. So these will be available as well. Now I realize, you know, going through the Old Testament, there are parts, let's just be honest, there are parts of the Old Testament that are just weird, right? And we're going to see some of that. And some of it's just too hard and it, it feels like it's very disconnected culturally from our experience. And, and yet, even though parts of this, parts of what we're going to be looking at, it, it seems really weird. I, I just want to challenge you to jump in and be a part of this. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to encourage to say, okay, I might not do it, but you know what? We're going through this together. So I want to be a part of this as we do this as, as a church family, as a church community. 
I want to encourage you to do it just to know that, okay, some of this maybe can be hard, but they're, they're providing resources. And, and we're going to have some online stuff for you as well that will even link you to some helpful videos that explain different parts of the Old Testament and hopefully make it more accessible for you. So I want you to know those resources are going to be a part of it. I realize it's hard. I realize it can be weird. But can I just encourage you to jump in for this reason? Because if you're willing to be a part of this, here's what we're going to learn in different ways week by week as we go through this part of the Old Testament. We're going to start to see how some of the pieces fit together. Now, I, I know you know the stories. Many of us know all the stories. We've gone through Sunday school, but we, we want to see not only the stories, but how the stories fit together. I mean, even as we've been looking at Matthew 1 and 2, I mean, Matthew is acutely aware that the different pieces fit together. And Matthew is acutely aware of how, you know, some of the pieces of the Old Testament are, are leaning into things we'll see in the New Testament and how some of the things in the New Testament are built upon things we've seen in the Old Testament. It's this He's showing us, he's weaving this picture for us to see that it's, it's really one unified story. A lot of different elements, different kinds of literature, things that are hard to understand, but it's really woven into one unified story. And it's my prayer that as we go through this week by week in new and different ways, you're going to understand who God is and what he's doing. In new and different ways, you're going to see how the different pieces of the biblical storyline fit together and are unified and work together and build into each other. And it's my prayer that in new and different ways, as we, as we understand who God is, as we understand how the different pieces fit together, that in new and different ways, you're also going to understand what it means for you to be a part of this story. And ultimately, along the way, that in new and different ways, you're going to come to love the Scriptures, and particularly the Old Testament. Because in new and different ways, it is communicating the message that God really is with us. That's the invitation as we begin 2020. With that in mind, would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, uh, we have come to this passage that confronts us with the truth that Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. Yet even as we read the story, we also see the dark parts, the hard parts in the Christmas narrative. The places where it's most natural to say, where are you and what are you doing? And Father, in acknowledging that, I also just want to acknowledge that some of us are here and we look over 2019 and maybe we see those same kinds of places. Places that just cause us to raise our hands and go, okay, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Father, there are places, if we're honest, that that just make this theme of Jesus as God with us seem very shallow. And yet I pray that we could be encouraged today to see that even those hard places were somehow woven into a bigger story. That even those hard places were places where you could be at work. Even those hard places were places where your presence was there. Father, may that challenge and encourage us as we wrap up 2019 and move into the new year.
And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.